What's going on, everybody? My name's Dallas. This is Vic Food Stories, the place where we talk about food and beverage in Victoria, British Columbia. And today we are talking beverages. We're going to be talking coffee because I'm here in Rock Bay at Mile Zero. I'm here with Brad. How you doing? Hi, everybody. Dude, Mile Zero, I, I got to tell you that there's been so many people that have told me when they tried your coffee, it's like now it's their favorite. Amazing. It has been... Um... Yeah, very interesting kind of three years. Um, and we've had a lot of phenomenal followers um, through markets, uh, farmers markets, um, and then also just through wholesale and, you know, being a bit of the newer kid on the block, um, people getting to try it and see it. And um, yeah, we've had an amazing amount of feedback. There's um, definitely something about it because like like Mike, for example, he would always go on about drum roaster and he, I mean, he loves drum roaster. But then for some reason, you guys have something that sort of for him, I think you guys now are his favorite. And I've heard from, I heard from someone else the other day, same thing. They tried your stuff and they just, they don't like, they don't normally like, like drip coffee. Mm -hmm. They tried yours and they're like, this is, I actually really like this. Yeah. Um, we have a different style and approach, um, to our coffee. So um, I was going to ask the first thing was what makes mile zero different? Um, the biggest and, and number one thing is that we're air roasting versus drum roasting. So you see the air roasters behind me. Um, they're Sona Fresco air roasters, um, a very small batch, um, custom roasting because they're two pounds at a time. Um, and they're a little bit more interactive and the process itself, um, I find is a little bit different because it's so small batch, you know, um, they're in glass hoppers, so they aren't, uh, the beans aren't hitting hot metal, um, very regularly. So there's not a heavy amount of caramelization, um, through the contact of metal. The air is constant, keep constantly keeping them fluid and moving. Um, and we also lend a little bit more towards the medium, medium, dark and dark roasts, which after doing farmer's markets for the past three and a half years, one of the things that I heard the most um, at farmer's markets was, do you have something that's darker or do you have a coffee that's richer um, in flavor profile? Also, um, people would say, you know, I'm not a fan of sour coffee. And usually when they say the word sour, they're talking about acidity medium to light roasts are going to have a higher level of acidity on the roasting scale. And then depending upon the type of bean, it can have natural acidity as well, which when you taste that on your palate, um, it can taste sour. Um, so the whole idea behind Mile Zero Coffee is that we want people to be able to get what they like. The one thing that I will always say is that it's what you like. It's not what I like. And to me, that's the most important part. You know, so how many different varieties do you guys have? We're currently carrying about 12. We have um, Sumatra from Indonesia. We have Yirgashefe from Ethiopia. Um, we have uh, Cuban coffee. We have Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. Um, we have Peru, um, a Mexico as well. Um, and then our decaf, um, I utilize and, and blend for our three major blends, the breakwater blend, 
which is our medium roast, uh, the Island Espresso Blend, which is our full city roast or our medium dark. And then we also have our Victoria Blend or Vic Blend, which is our dark roast. And in, immediately upon going to farmer's markets and selling coffee, um, that was part of what we got a lot of really good feedback. And those statements that you have heard and, and we were hearing was, oh, this is different than what I'm used to tasting um, and has a lot of, you know, flavor profiles that aren't as, um, aren't as bright, citrusy, sometimes acidic or, or to some people's palates, sour. Um, and the thing I will always reiterate to people is, and the fun part about having, you know, small two pound air roasters is that we can custom roast for people. You know, if you know that you enjoy a Guatemalan bean and there's a certain way that I roast it, but you want to try it differently, come on in. All you got to do is buy two pounds of coffee. And in 15 to 20 minutes, we can sit there and custom roast. That's so sick. Um, and I got to say too, the prices of your stuff is like, it's amazing. It's yeah, very good value. It is. You know, we, um, we looked at the comp set in Victoria and, you know, there is very specific um, smaller farm structured, um, single origin beans out there, um, that, you know, can range anywhere from upwards of 20 to $25 a pound or yeah. sometimes three quarters of a pound. And, um, you know, we looked at all of our beans, averaged our pricing structure out and said, you know, what can we do so that people can get really good coffee for a, appropriate price point and one that you know people feel comfortable paying for because i feel like there's kind of almost two ends of the spectrum you can go to costco and buy five pounds of kirkland brand coffee for thirty dollars and you know you're not getting the best quality coffee um but then you can turn around and go and get a very specific single origin coffee and pay large amounts of money for it Again, depending upon your preference. What's the most expensive coffee you've seen for like a pound? Um, I've had the civet coffee, which is the oh, yeah. cat. The cat poop? Yeah, exactly. Um, I have seen, um, when I lived in Boston, a they call it black ivory, um, which is actually a similar process, but done with elephants. Mm. And it can range upwards of four or $500 a pound. Wow. Yeah. And that's probably U.S.? Uh, probably. Yeah. Like U.S. money. Yeah. Like four or five hundred. Yeah. So that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Coffee, you know, it's a an amazing commodity. It's the second highest rated commodity in the world behind oil. Really? Yeah. It's, um, you know, something that is used and consumed all over the world in many different ways, styles, and approaches. Um, and I think coffee also in the last 25 to uh, 25 years there's been more and more information about it. Coffee is now being approached very similarly as you would approach wine. And a lot of my background has always been wine and spirits as how we first got introduced yes. through divine distillery and winery. Yes. So a lot of my background and, and my, you know, understanding of beverages and palate and tasting and all of those kind of things comes from that side. And, you know, it's how 
my business partner and I, uh, Derek and myself. Shout out to Derek. And of course, shout out to Derek. Um, we want people to understand that, you know, we'll roast all of our coffees in a specific way that we do it and it's on the shelf. But, you know, you can also come in and have fun and, and create something on your own or um, try what we have and then I always encourage people to keep a bag or keep the empty bag and make some notes on the back of it because then you can come back and say oh hey I tried the single origin El Salvador and you know I love the flavor of the bean but maybe I wanted a darker roast or I wanted more of a light roast um, and we've seen that through farmers markets you know we're at Moss Street Market and have been at Moss Street every Saturday for the last three years um, we're also at the Esquimalt Farmers Market and both of those settings are just absolutely incredible way to incubate your business and get the brand out there to people, be in front of people on a weekly basis. So was Moss Street the start for you guys? It was. Um, a little kind of history behind Mile Zero. Um, yeah, like let's go back to the start because one of the things I was – I want to even go back before Mile Zero. And like for you and Derek, if you know, um, like what made you want to get into coffee? Um, coffee is very interesting for myself. I, you know – grew up with a dad that drank vast quantities of coffee, not very good coffee. It was Maxwell House or Folgers and it was in a five pound tin in a freezer. Um, but he would drink, consume, you know, 10 to 15 small cups of coffee a day. And for me, I, it just wasn't something I thought that I would ever really enjoy. And I didn't really enjoy the flavor profile as a, as a younger person. And um, I think I really didn't start drinking coffee until my early to mid 20s. Um, and what ended up happening was I had stopped working in my career in hotels with, um, Fairmont and was living back in Ontario at the time. And one of my very good friends, uh, Jennifer McKimmy, who had started, uh, Mile Zero Coffee Company at Niagara Grocery, um, which was over in James Bay on Niagara Street. She had turned this tiny little grocery store into the most incredible um, organic food hub. Um, it was prior to everybody carrying organic food at any of the large grocery stores. And she was working directly with um, 10 to 15 local farmers and bringing in incredible vegetables um, with organic certification. And her and her partner at the time, Ken Winchester, had started Mile Zero Coffee Company at Niagara Grocery. Um, and they were just, they had two of the roasters that you see behind us, uh, in the space there and were supplying mostly James Bay. Um, and it was very, you know, specific to that area. Um, it's almost like you had to be a local to sort of know about it. Very much so. You know, those roasters there are two of those actually the ones or um, just similar, like they're not actually the ones, right? The two original roasters from uh, Niagara Grocery are the ones that we take to farmers markets and live roast. Oh, yeah. It's also the beautiful thing about these um, roasters is that you can attach them to a propane tank, uh, the two that we have that we take to markets, and we can live roast at markets and at Moss Street in the summertime. It looks so cool. It is. And know, especially like the colors like bright red. Yes. And it really pops. But then you you got these uh, beans going on and it's sort of almost like popcorn in yes. a way. Very much so. You know, it's a, a similar concept in, in the idea of forced air and, and keeping the beans moving, similar with a popcorn machine. And um, yes, having that experience at a farmer's market, the number of people that drink coffee and have only ever either seen it in bean form, ground form, or in a liquid form um, and don't know 
you know, people would walk by and we'd be just starting a roast and they'd be like, that's what coffee looks like. And to me, that's such an amazing way to engage people. And, you know, for me, whether it's in the cafe setting, whether it's in at a farmer's market, any opportunity we have to engage someone and have them, you know, learn something new um, in an environment that they feel comfortable and, and get to try something and see something happen. And that's the very cool thing is, you know, in 15 to 20 minutes, you see a roast go from green beans all the way to the roast and finish. And at farmer's markets, you know, we would have a crowd of five or 10 people just hanging out around the, the um, roaster while we were selling coffee beans and um, coffee by the cup. And they'd be able to get a cup of coffee and watch a roast happen while they were enjoying their farmer's market experience. And it's those little roasters that, you know, at Niagara Grocery when it first started um, was such a great way for people who were already attaching to the brand of Niagara Grocery, seeing Mile Zero, experiencing and watching the roasting of the coffee happen right in front of them at the store. Um so there was a great capture of a lot of people in that community. The word spread throughout Victoria as well. There was, you know, more people that were coming to to um, experience the coffee at Niagara Grocery. And Jen at the time uh, would have been 2015, I believe, around there. Um, she had contacted me because I was looking to move away from Ontario and, and I had already lived here two or three different times. And she said, well, I know you're looking to move. Would you want to learn how to roast coffee? So I said, sure, and loaded up my car, moved back to Victoria and spent about three or four months with uh, both Ken and Jen, um, just learning all about things coffee. Um, and I did a lot of self-education as well, just reading and understanding some of the chemical compositions of you know, roasting coffee and the changes in the bean and the yeah, there's some science behind that. A hundred percent. And you can, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole pretty deep because there's a lot of interesting components. And, you know, I know coffee roasters that are scientists that understand it from a molecular level and, and, you know, really understand that side of it and learning from uh, both Ken and Jen, Ken's definitely more on the artistic side of it and um, very much sight, sound, smell, tastes, you know, all of those aspects. And with the glass hoppers and the very interactive aspects of these two-pound air roasters, it was just an incredible learning experience for me and to be able to pick up a new skill and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you're really hitting like like all the senses almost with those things. Like oh, yeah. all of them. Yeah. You can see it, you can smell it, you can hear it. Um, and then, you know, afterwards you get to taste it as well. And, yeah. Or even just, you know, chewing on a bean afterwards. And to me, that tactile and, and sensory interaction is such a great way for people to learn about it and for myself as well. And seeing, you know, I can have four different beans in the four different roasters and you can sit there and watch how they differentiate throughout the roasting pattern, whether the beans, a harder bean, smaller, larger, um, you know, where it comes from, what terroir it's being grown in, whether it's valley grown, grown in a uh, more of a mountainous area, hilly re region, um, that kind of component and, and seeing how that, that, that bean reacts. So it'll change color at a different speed? Yes. Oh, 
some will have uh, go into second crack at a different time. Some will go into a first crack at a different time. Um, so yeah, there's lots of very interesting components to to be able to see on that process um, and handling the fruit or the berry itself. Um, back to Niagara Grocery a little bit. Um, I was working there and and taking over the roasting of of um, the coffee at. Niagara Grocery and um, Jen ended up having to close the store back in would have been the early part of 2017. Um, and at that point, Derek, who's been a, probably one of the longest standing friends I've had, we had met back in Lake Louise in the early 2000s and um, had even lived together here in Victoria um, for a couple of years while he was working and going to school and I was working for um, at the Fairmont Empress. And Derek had moved away to Fort St. John and I had moved to Boston and we'd always just stayed in touch throughout the years. And, um, he had heard I was moving back and he was also planning on moving back to Victoria, um, from Fort St. John. And he had picked up the phone and gave me a call probably about six or eight months before he was moving back. And he said, you know, anything you want to do on like a side hustle of some kind, or, you know, just a, a secondary um, project or hobby or something like that. And around that time, Jen had been, uh, unfortunately having to close, uh, Niagara grocery and her and I had been having conversations about mile zero. Um, and I had been expressing interest in the purchase of just the coffee brand instead of, or not including, um, Niagara grocery, but just the coffee component. And I mentioned it to Derek when we were having this conversation and he said, well, He's like, you want to become coffee roasters? And then, you know, is this something that you'd want to go in on and be partners on? Um, and that kind of spearheaded and started the process. And he was moving back and had been back for three or four months. And then October of 2017, we um, acquired Mile Zero from Jen and um, really focused on um, farmer's markets initially uh, and wholesale um, at the time, we were roasting out on uh, Divine Distillery's um, property out on Old West Sandwich Road. They were amazing as I was working still full-time for them as well as their brand ambassador and built um, a, an 8 by 10 shed out on their property. And um, they let us have our three roasters at the time up there. And so I was doing uh, the roasting um, out on divine's property that's incredible and so they were full on with supporting you in your adventure 100 percent. i love it yeah it was a, an amazing partnership and definitely feel so much part of that family as well and um we'll hopefully always continue to work for them in some way shape or form because there's so many amazing things that happen out there as well and they have been nothing but supportive both derek and i in the growth and, and support of getting mile zero to a point where growing and, and being able to be in the space that we're in now and having brick and mortar and, and growing our brand. Um, so you're roasting out there mm -hmm. and how long were you doing that for? Um, Cause you got this location not super long ago, right? Craig, we signed our lease here in um, on bridge street in rock Bay um, back in November. Mm. And so we were, Two and a half years out on Divine's property, um, which worked very well because I was working for them full time, and this was kind of the the side hustle aspect. And then, um, you know, Derek and I were usually doing at least two, if not three, farmers markets a week 
um, as well as, you know, trying to grow the wholesale side of it and working with a lot of my relationships in the bars and restaurants here in Victoria to um, work with them on both coffee and then also on the spirit side of things. And um, yeah, so we had been kind of knowing that our next growth step was to have a roastery first and foremost or a place to roast outside of a eight by 10 shed with no heat and <laughs> a little bit more comfortable a little bit more comfortable because it was getting pretty cold out there sometimes in the <laughs> winter time um but um yeah so we had started looking for space and, and had been for kind of the previous full year and then had a couple of opportunities that popped up that maybe weren't the right ones and um and then this space became available and we ended up signing the lease in november we were planning to be open for kind of march 1st or april mm. 1st and that was right. April is definitely not going to be a go. No, it. Um, we were hustling very, very hard, and then you know, COVID nineteen became prominently positioned in um, Canada and the, and well, again, the rest of the world as well. But was actually starting to have a foothold in the Pacific Northwest, and we started to see that happen in um, Seattle and Washington, um, right in I think around February or March, and then all of the the stipulation started to happen. So we ended up having to really kind of slow down and take a look at how we were going to work this because there was a lot of unknowns as there was for everybody mm -hmm. um, during that time and during this time, I should say, because it's nowhere near over. But um, yeah, so we didn't actually end up opening our doors here until the last week of July. So oh, wow. what was meant to take us three to four months to get open ended up taking us almost nine um, you know, there was definitely some blessings in disguise of, you know, when to be spending money and getting everything ready and equipment and all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, there was definitely some interesting conversations just about how we were going to navigate considering we had just signed a lease and 90 days later, a global pandemic hit and, you know, do you continue to push forward and then, you know, make things happen or do you have to rework and, and rethink your entire plan so um you know derek and i had lots and lots of very in-depth conversations just about what it looked like and how we were going to make that happen and you know we went into first wave and second wave um situations for through you know may june july basically or kind of april may june and when second wave hit, you know, we both looked at each other and said, okay, well, you know, the rules and regulations and stipulations will allow us to still open and, and be in a safe environment with that's conducive to, you know, the engaging environment that we want. Um, There's a lot of space in here. Yeah, it's definitely a blessing that, yeah. you know, seeing this space versus some of the other ones that we had looked at previously, this really allows us, you know, having the square footage that we have um for people to feel comfortable being able to come in here and you know having 35 feet and have people be able to stand comfortably with the appropriate six feet between each other and you know even in the area where you wait to pick up the coffee you have the same amount of space we can still have some seating you know we've only got about 12 seats but um of our possible 24 that we would normally have um, but it's, it's been amazing to see in this, uh, in this portion, um, in Rock Bay and, and people coming to still be able to sit in and, and have, um, you know, a pastry or lunch and have a coffee and relax and enjoy or come in and work with their laptops and that kind of thing. So we've seen some very good, um, support from that side for sure. 
So with the air roasters, mm-hmm. what percentage of companies use an air roaster versus a drum? Uh, very few. Um, you know, we have, we have a lot of comments and a lot of the other local roasters have, you know, popped by and, you know, our machines are quite a bit smaller than um, some of the drum roasters that you see out there. You know, some of the smaller drum roasters are 10 kilos or 25 pound roasters. Um, so for us to be two pounds per roaster, you know, we've got the bank of four that we have here and then we have the two more that we take to markets. Um, but it's um they're typically test roasters for the bigger um roasters because these come in a one pound and a two pound style um and the larger roasters would have them as a test roaster where they can kind of test their temperature curves and their roasting components and only have to do it on one or two pounds of coffee at a time and then they can turn around and you know throw a hundred pounds into a hundred pound drum roaster or 25 pounds into a 25 pound drum roaster and set have their settings set and kind of work with it from there um so i believe there's really only one other air roaster on vancouver island uh which was serious coffee oh wow um if i remember correctly um and then, you know, a lot of people will also air roast with some of the smaller air roasters at home. If you're a home roaster and you like to geek out about coffee at home and that kind of thing. Um, so very small percentage. I would say 95 to 98% of roasters are drum roasters. Yeah, that's so wild then for you guys to be able to do it that way because it is so different. It, it just, is. It's, you're like recalibrating sort of people's understanding of what coffee can be. Yeah, in a in a different uh, kind of approach and style, and again, you know, um, looking at the comp set out there and seeing a lot of coffee be more medium to light roasts, um, and you know, I understand that that approach to coffee can really showcase more of the terroir and more of the bean specific flavors versus um, roasting and and only having roast flavors. Um, but back to one of my very first statements is that it's a lot about what people want mm-hmm. in their style of coffee. And, and that to me is very important. And to both Derek and I is understanding that creating a coffee that people enjoy and, you know, helping them to understand why, you know, because people will say, oh, I love a strong cup of coffee, but they're not sure what strength they enjoy do they enjoy a strong bean flavor do they enjoy a strong brew or do they enjoy a strong roast flavor um but again that's up to their palate and their preference and have you been able to help people sort of work that out 100 percent. you know to me it's so important to ask the right questions yeah you know and as we've interacted whether it's on vermouth or gin or whiskey you know derek and i will ask you know kind of two or three specific questions just about what people what they like and you know do you prefer a nutty flavor do you prefer dark chocolates do you prefer um milk chocolate flavor do you prefer citrusy bright floral berry fruit um you know you can kind of ask a couple of um specific questions and be able to direct and and find out what somebody's flavor profile is um i will always encourage people to be adventurous and you know, you don't know if you like it until you try it. That's how I feel a hundred percent. Cause I know so many people that they, they like to go with what they know. 
And then my, my first thing is like, cause I used to be like that a million percent. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't venture out of anywhere. I'd go to five different restaurants and I had one, I, one item at each restaurant yep. and that was it. Like when Steven at work, he uh, reminded me that like to go to Thai food was like unheard of. Like he had to basically like force me almost with like a gun to my head just to be like, dude, we're going to eat this. And yeah. like, I really didn't want to. And it's just to go to have Pad Thai, right? Which is sort of the starter for everyone, I feel like. And and now it's like the world's so much bigger when you're just open to stuff. 100%. Because maybe you try something, you don't like it. That's cool. But now you know for the future. But then what if you do try it and it's the best thing you've ever had? Exactly. And that's the thing. Is, and if you don't like it, then say that be. You don't have to try it again. No. Um, and, you know, I will always try to challenge people and say, okay, well, you know, and even if it just means that I have a quarter pound of something and if they're buying a pound of their favorite and say, hey, here, you know, take this and try it. Because um, you never know. And, you know, a perfect example of that is we have a Honduras bean that's a, kind of a medium roast, medium plus in that wheelhouse for roasting structure. And I have a lot of dark roast drinkers that um, I've had them try the Honduras and because it's um, – uh, valley grown bean it's more it's got some richer notes it's got naturally it's a bit of a bigger bean as well um so it has a lot of really good depth and richness which is what a dark roast drinker looks for but they think they have to have a dark roast to get and achieve that flavor profile um and so you know i'll have them try a different style of coffee but at a different roast than what they're normally used to and we always talked about roast for so long where it was oh i'm a dark roast drinker i'm a medium roast drinker and now people are able to start to talk about, you know, oh, well, I like a Central American bean. Mm. I like an African bean because they've been able to now experience that and say, oh, yeah, you know, I had um, an Ethiopian bean from Discovery or I've had an Ethiopian bean from Mile Zero or from Bows and Arrows, you know, and um, each one of them might be roasted differently, but it's a specific bean flavor from that country and it might have blueberry notes or fruit notes or tea floral qualities and they're like oh that's my flavor profile that's what i like and then they can kind of nuance that component with which roast category they like as well so that's where again that personal preference and style is so up to you and being adventurous in that means that you can find something new that education though is a bit of work i think i imagine it is and again asking the right questions and just being open to the idea that you know it is what my guests and and what you know Derek and I when we're at the markets asking those questions what do people want and in what direction um, I would imagine though that like if you're really into it and you sort of geek out on it and you like know a lot to be able to help someone sort of navigate and find something they like even more I mean that would be pretty cool oh it's a it's a very fulfilling process as well because and it also supports our our you know our mantra helps then to support people with attaching to our brand and creating brand loyalty you know that engaging component asking those right questions you're involving them in the process actually and- that's really interesting because you're you're making custom roasts for people mm-hmm. so basically you're you, like mile zero can almost be it's like almost like the people's company because who where what other company can you come to and like get your specific roast or, or and bean or whatever like you could be making like a, a million different different types technically because everyone wants something different. So that's actually very, that's amazing how um, how variable everything is. 
Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing is we do stick to kind of our main three blends and then we've got our decaf and then I've got the single origins that on our retail shelf are always going to be consistently roasted the same. Um, but yes, when people want to have some freedom or try something new and be adventurous, the things that we talk about and encourage people to do, um, you know, a great example is two weeks ago, I had someone come in and they said, oh, you know, my brother's a huge coffee fanatic. He absolutely loves it. He, you know, tries different places and you know he's reading a lot about it and very involved in it and um he's she's like oh well you know i think i might get him one of your hats and some coffee and stuff for his birthday i said well do you you know want to get him a gift certificate for um the value of coming in and custom roasting two pounds of coffee She's like, that would be amazing. So she gave it to him and two days later for his birthday, he came in and hung out for half an hour, 45 minutes. We talked about, you know, all the different beans. I showed him, you know, what the differentiation between looking at all of these beans in green form looked like, smelled like. Um, he must then, have loved that. He did. Yeah, he sat here and, you know, we got to, I, you know, pulled him a shot of espresso and, and had him try some of our different drip coffee that we had on that day because we always have at least one single origin and a couple of our blends on as well that are all kind of different roasting uh, roast sets as well um and then asked him you know kind of 10 or 15 different questions just about what style and type and flavor profile that he was enjoying about what he was trying and smelling and that kind of thing and then um you know he chose to do a blend and we ended up doing a central american heavy blend because he liked more of those flavor profiles um and then um you know, we just made some notes on the bag so that are on the, the, the two pounds and um, he was able to then be able to take that home. And I said, well, now go home and make notes, you know, after you've had a chance to try it and, you know, make it a couple different ways. Make it in a stovetop Bialetti, make it in a French press, make it in a drip machine, whatever you have at home. Try it in a couple different ways and see exactly what your favorite component was. Um, cause then, you know, if he wants to come back and do it again, we can either do exactly the same thing or we can tweak something or add something or do something like that. So it's, um, yeah, you know, so it's not just when you roast it, but it's also at home, the way that you're preparing it. Yeah. The, you know, there's, it's a lot of mitigating factors as to, you know, how you can have your coffee taste. Yeah. Um, consistency is very, very important, right? You but know, if you do it like a French press style versus something else. That same be that same coffee is going to taste different. Does it definitely can, for sure, mm. because of water exposure, how it's ground as well. You know, it's like when you walk into a place that has pour overs and things like that. Um, you know, they're weighing out to an exact gram amount how much how many be um, how much ground coffee is going into the filter, and then the water is heated to an exact temperature, and then poured over in a certain specific amount of time and there's an actual pour over kettle with a longer spout um and to make sure again consistency and component of how that's being made um but again that's uh, uh, that's up to a person's preference 100 percent. Um, for people that haven't been to a market and haven't seen or come in here and seen these things go mm -hmm. can you sort of describe what the process is like from start to finish? Of course. Um, the roasting process itself is really only about eight to 10 minutes. Um, so when we start the um, green beans, there's um, different settings and, and what happens is the blower will basically kick in and start the beans moving. And the beans at the very beginning in green form are quite heavy. 
so they don't move around as much, and then they start to lose some moisture and some weight as they start to toast or roast. And in those, you know, first in the in the first roasting component or the roasting time, um, you know, even in the first forty five seconds to a minute and a half, you'll see them change from green into a kind of a light cinnamon or light brown color. Um, and then that will kind of continue to change through the stages of different kind of colors of um and the at the brown spectrum, um, from cinnamon all the way up to milk chocolate, uh, dark chocolate. Um, you will also see um, during that first kind of three or four minutes, you'll start to kick into um, what is called first crack. And that's where those beans are starting to toast to the level where they start to crack open. Um, they'll start to lose some of their pith, which is right in the center of the bean, and then the skin as well. Um, and that starts to fall off and become the chaff which is basically all of the skin and the pith that's released off of the bean during that process. So it goes through first crack, and that's where, you know, seeing some of the different types of beans or blends and that kind of thing is that each one, you know, can have a very active first crack or can be very slow and depending upon which type of bean it is. Um, and then as that roast continues along, um, probably into about the sixth or seventh minute, um, you'll start to hear it go into what is called second crack if you're getting into a darker roast. And that sounds more like crinkling paper, whereas that first crack sounds more like um, popping popcorn. It's more aggressive. It's quite a bit louder. And uh, second crack is quite quick and has um, it's like having um, crackling Christmas paper kind of styles or sound to it anyways. Um and so once you hit that point, when you hear that second one, that's when it's going to go to dark? Typically. Again, every bean kind of is going to react a little bit differently. Yep. Um, most of the time, if I'm into medium to light roasts, I won't take it into second crack at all. Um, so is it basically, do you just know the, the time limit per type of bean? Or once you hear it a little bit, you just stop? Um, that's where the addition of the sight, the smell, the sound all of that kind of combination of seeing that process, which is why having these um, glass hoppers in these this style of air roasting um, is so, to me, the more of the artistry side of it, where you're looking at the um, how the beans are changing. Um, you know, I describe sometimes if you do get into some of the darker roasts, it's kind of like describing um, the different levels of white paint when you have like uh, low gloss, um, matte, um, all the way up to super high gloss. And that's when you start to see oil production um, happening on beans. Whereas, you know, if you take something really dark into a, a Nero or even darker, um, it will be producing oil in the actual roaster itself. Um, whereas, um, you know, into a, a medium plus or a medium dark, you know, it looks quite matte and it looks, still looks quite dry. Um, so yeah, you know, there's a lot of different nuanced parts to what it looks like and sounds like. Um, and you know, you can definitely get into the more computerized versions of roasting where everything is, um, you know, everything is dialed in onto a computer and you watch your, your, um, your, your heat curve on a graph and, you know, you type it in organize or type it in set, put all your settings on and then it'll just stop 
very disconnected, very automated. Some of them are. And, um, well, compared to what you're doing here in comparison to what we're doing here, very much so. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I feel like it's part of what does set us apart and really does allow us to, to interact and engage with our, our, um, our clientele and all of our guests here. Is well, that, this is an actual like experience yeah, where yeah. like you, you come, you don't just come and just get some coffee there. You come and you buy some, I mean, you can watch it being made a hundred percent custom. It's the thing is a lot of people as they're either waiting for a coffee or they're waiting in line and a roast is happening. The number of people that just kind of pop over and, you know, pop out and take a picture or take a video and, you know, get to experience what's happening right there in front of them. Um, and to me, that's so important as part of that, engaging environment and and having people to be able to understand who we are and our brand and understand the coffee that they're you know coming to truly love and enjoy is there a premium for getting like a custom one made um not typically depending upon the beans that you want and mm-hmm. and uh, choose um you know it's more just about you know finding the time to do it which um again you know is to me so important for having brand loyalty is that, you know, to take 25 or 30 minutes out of the day to create something special for someone is just as much fun as it is for them as it is for me. Um, and seeing that be an approach and a style and seeing how people, how excited people get. Yeah. You know, I can imagine like they, they're probably super excited to come in and tell you that like their last visit, you did something for them. And they're probably super stoked to come in here and like excited to tell you that that was amazing. hundred percent. It has, um, it's, it really is what captures that brand loyalty and, and people having mile zero become their favorite coffee and, and go around and, and word of mouth, whether you're hearing it or we're hearing it, or, um, they're putting something onto, you know, social media and Instagram and coming to the farmer's market and saying, Hey, I tried your coffee at, you know, one of the places that we, work with on a wholesale component and they're like oh we you know sort of looked on your website and saw you were at moss street market and you know we wanted to come down to get some beans and then they end up coming here as well and then get the you know the full experience of seeing four of the roasters in action not just one in uh out in the farmer's market um and you know for both derek and i i know that that's an, a very important part of who we are as entrepreneurs and, and you know the owners of mile zero is having those interactions and and being able to um create an experience that people attach to in, in a very positive way and, and love telling other people about as well yeah i guess when people when they co- sort of come in and they give their feedback and they get you to make something custom they're now a part of that process they're not just walking into a business and taking whatever you have off the shelf so that like the brand loyalty thing i think that that if people feel like they're involved Mm-hmm. That's taking it to a whole nother level. A hundred percent. It's it's to me what really does not only create brand loyalty, but holds it and keeps it because it does involve them. And it's you hear these stories all of the time. And if you go somewhere, or you go to a party, the times that you hear someone tell a story about an experience, or they went to a brewery, or they went to a coffee shop or they went to a dining experience in a restaurant um those interactive moments and those those times that engage them is what truly sticks in their brain because they're out talking about it and they're telling people 
And that word of mouth is so important for growing a brand and, and having people experience it. And to engage someone on that level is fulfilling for me and for Derek, but it's also, you know, I think fulfilling for them as they find something that they're going to continue to either spread the word about or, you know, drink that coffee every single day versus someone else's. And you, you just reminded me of like my top meals in my head that I've ever had. I'm going through it. And definitely part of it is a, is the interaction with the, the restaurant where I've been. Mm-hmm. That, that, that has, I almost want to say a huge factor in like, like, let's say my top three dinners that I've ever had. Always, you know, whether it's like the one in Japan where the, the, the place was closing down and the owner, um, you know, he sat with us, he, he talked us through some of the stuff. Then at the end, the owner came in and sat down beside us between or beside Anton and I, and he, he's like, this is the highest, the highest quality green tea you'll ever have. And he like poured us little cups and he's like, you have to try this. And it, we, we didn't ask for it. He just came over and he wanted to share with us. Mm-hmm. And it, that made a lasting impression on me, which I mean, I, I, Japan, you're not supposed to tip. I believe it's actually rude, mm-hmm. but I, I, I had, I had to tip there because it was just, it was a next level experience. And I think they they understood that that it was like just so much appreciation. Yeah. But it was that interaction that that really the food was great and it was amazing, but that interaction really set it apart. And you're creating a memory. Yeah. Right. There's too unfortunately, there's too many situations in our world where we do things that don't create a memory. Unfortunately, some of those things are lackluster, and and you know we just do it as a consumption component versus doing it for an engagement mm-hmm. aspect and whether it's fast food or you know there's a lot of those aspects that are not engaging and they don't create a memory and as soon as you create that memory that sinks in for someone and when you create that memory then it adds to their nostalgia and they want to go back and they want to tell people about it and as soon as you do that then your yeah, you brand can, is supporting that idea of growing um, your customer base and and your brand loyalty and and having people come back to you more and more and more because of that creation of a memory and creating a moment that to them now becomes a nostalgic in, in, interaction where they're like I had the best time and it's something that they don't you know they they talk about for a long time. Yeah. If you can transcend and they get into that area of being like nostalgic or, or having those memories that stick, like that's, I mean, I don't know how you can do that on purpose, but to be able to do that is like incredible. Cause there are so, I've, I've never really pondered too much about what you're talking about, but it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. You know, for me, it's always been, especially in the hospitality industry, you know, I've worked in uh, hotel settings and those kind of components for 20 plus years now. Well, can I give an example? Yeah. Like the first time I think I met you was at one of the markets. I don't remember which one. Probably Moss. I think it was Moss. Might have been the first time I'd ever gone there, actually. And you were doing the divine vermouth. Yeah. And you and you, like so for the, with that vermouth, the way you basically set it up is that you take three little sips, mm-hmm. and each one hits your palate in a different place. But the way you walk someone through it, and like the way you walked me through it, where like you're describing, okay, the first one's going to do this, mm-hmm. but the like the way you, the way you like led me through that whole process was it like, it just, it set it up perfectly. 
but it also like added a whole bunch of enjoyment to it that if had I just someone said here try this it's going to do three different things whatever but you sort of like brought me and everyone else there along and that that made a big difference it's you know it's something that i've always not only been trained on but then also been part of creating and, it, and i use the word engaging a lot because it's so important to engage someone because you can just give people information but if it's not in an engaging environment or coming from a point of passion as well where you where if you're passionate about something and you engage someone in it you instill in them it, it could be a very low level passion but it's they're learning something so there's an educational aspect to it you engage them in that environment and if you're passionate about it it's amazing how many people will turn around and then go i in 7 minutes i just learned more about vermouth than i ever have yeah and whether it was something and you know people would be like oh well you know maybe vermouth's not my jam but i just got this experience and they'll talk about the experience sometimes almost as much as they'll talk about the product if they love the product they'll talk about both and they'll be like, oh, I have never had vermouth like this before in my life, or I've never had a cup of coffee that gave me all the things that I really want to and do love about coffee. Um, but it's those kind of interactions where creating an engaging environment with a passionate amount of education and information, it, it really sinks into people and again, creates that memory or that moment when they're like, Oh, that just clicked. And you can see it in people's eyes where, you know, especially at a farmer's market when someone walks by and you're telling a story. And, and that's the thing is it, it is storytelling. I never buy alcohol at farmer's markets and I bought a bottle <laughs> of vermouth that day. Yeah. So you did a good job. Amazing. But no, it, it is storytelling 100%. Mm -hmm. And it's right. the way you present it because like you said, it, it could just be, here's a bunch of information, very um, non-engaging, which is maybe not going to be received. Mm. Or as soon as someone is into it and you involve them and make it fun, that's a totally different ballgame. Hundred percent. Yeah, it, it's so it's so important for, um, just yeah, creating an environment where people feel comfortable and you know are willing to be adventurous. Back to that's the, the very first part of our conversation is that you know a lot of people can walk by and just say, "Nope, I have my go-to coffee." Nope, I have my go-to coffee. But if you create some kind of an environment or, or, you know, get them to try something or smell something. How is somebody going to buy, walk by one of those air roasters and not like sort of just exactly. be engaged at some, on some level? Yeah. You could be a tea drinker, but you've never seen the, how coffee is roasted and then what that looks like. And that can capture someone. And, you know, when Derek and I were talking about it, we're like, well, why don't we live roast at markets? Right. And when we were talking to the, um, executive directors of, of Esquire Malt Market and Farmer's Market or, uh, and Moss Street Market. Um, and we were like, well, we'd love to bring one of our roasters. And they're like, you can bring a roaster to the market? And we're like, if you let us, we will. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, being able to bring that experience and, and, and yeah, it is, you know, sitting right in the middle of the farmer's market, all of a sudden people would be like, what is that smell? Yeah. Right. And, and people will be like, it smells like coffee and it just kind of, you know, permeates the air and people get to walk over and see it. And yeah, it, it immediately creates an engaging environment. Um, there was that, something about smell too, that when Natalie and I were here like three weeks ago, mm -hmm. you, you, you had made some fresh stuff and I think we smelled that, but then you pulled a, a, a bunch out that was from like a couple of days before. Mm -hmm. And then that was like a totally different thing. Yeah. You know, when, um, 
when coffee blooms and and goes from immediately out of the roaster, it hasn't had enough oxygen hitting it, so it hasn't had a chance to open up or ripen or bloom. Okay. Um, and, you know, as it ages, and then it's also why, you know, if you get into medium light roasts, you want to let that sit for, you know, anywhere from three days to a week before you really get into it because it needs time to age. And then there's this, I haven't delved into it as much, but there's a myriad of information on aging coffee. I was going to say, so like what, what's the ideal time frame? I assume it depends on the, the bean. It does, and the roast. Okay. Yeah. Um, like, does, the, does coffee ever really go bad? It can. It'll flatten, and it can definitely lose its flavor profile. And you can still drink it, though, right? Oh, you could still drink it. Yeah. Yeah, it'll still give you some caffeine, and but it could taste pretty neutral. It's not as optimal as it could yeah. be. Which, back in the day, they would just add more grounds to the brew and try and make it stronger, and it would make the brew stronger, but the flavor profile or, or the richness of it wouldn't wouldn't be there. Yeah. Because it's old. Um, but, yeah, it, it, there's definitely a lot of different components when it comes to, to that. You're going to have to help me with this, but mm-hmm. on my notes, I wrote down something, and I don't know what the word is. Okay. So, it said you guys only do one type of coffee. Arabica. Arabica. Yeah, Arabica. Yeah. So, so what is that? Uh, well, there's Arabica and Robusta. Um, those, the, kind the, of, those are the only two types of coffee? They're strains of coffee. Yeah. Okay. So Arabica is what we typically see 90% of the time. Robusta usually typically comes out of kind of the- I like that. I like that word. Robusta. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very rich coffee. Um, like it's got a lot of that kind of depth, but it's not always the best quality coffee. Um. Is that why you chose to go with the other one? Well, typically it's mo- pretty much all you would see. Like um, I would say out of the 200 different varietals of coffee that we can get from our importers, um, I have maybe 12 to 15 of those that are organically certified. So our options are quite a bit less um, in comparison to conventional coffee. Um, and then out of that, I think I've only seen maybe two types of Robusta. Mm. So it's like... Have you ever yeah. tried them? Uh, I have had a couple, um, and there are quite some of the larger roasters in the world that do mix Robusta and Arabica. You don't typically see that in North America very much. Um, I've never delved into it too too heavily just because it's hard to get organically as well, so I wouldn't typically bring much of it in um, other than to probably roast and try myself yeah, just more a, than anything. Just experiment? Yeah, just to kind of see what kind of flavor profiles are there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Arabica typically is what we would see 98% of the time. Um, so when you guys most, are, are looking for beans, like what, what is the criteria then? Um, it's fairly wide open as long as it's organically certified um, or it's being practiced or, or grown organically. Um, so communicating with our importers and, and talking to um, farms um, directly um, so that they or we know that they're practicing organic um, practices. And again, would that be a scenario where if they don't have the organic label, it's because they don't have the money or they don't want to spend the money just to get that? But that doesn't necessarily mean that the thing's any less, it could be higher quality. Yeah, you know, I've always, um, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is I just don't want our beans to be sprayed with pesticides and other components. There's, there are natural approaches. And, you know, again, from if you look at winemaking and, and again, even food growing, um, 
you know, having a, having a label and a stamp on it as organic certification is driven a lot of, a lot by the consumerism in North America, um, which is a, again, could be quite the rabbit hole to go down in regards to that. But I, when I first started working at Niagara Grocery, that was a big conversation was that, you know, a small local farm to get organic certification was going to cost them anywhere between five and $10,000, which they didn't have that kind of money. They were practicing organic, but they needed to spend a large amount of money to get an organic sticker to go onto their packaging or to be able to hold a piece of paper that stated that they were practicing organically. And yet non-organic vegetables don't have to say what they're being sprayed with, just has a sticker on it that says what type of vegetable it is, but it doesn't have, you know, they're spraying it with some possible Roundup or other nasty things that can have quite a negative effect and be quite unhealthy for us. They don't have to tell us that. And yet we have to be told if it's organically certified or not. And, you know, for us, it was just a very important part to uphold. Um, um, with mile zero back at Niagara grocery initially was that it was in an organic grocery store and we were only going to serve organic coffee and roast organic coffee. And Derek and I have continued to uphold that standard of, um, organic certification or, um, knowing that the farm is practicing organic standards. Um, and it's always the interesting part is that some of these countries have been growing organically because there's no other way to grow except that way for hundreds of years. And it's only that someone in in North America has made the statement that they have to have an organic certification for it to be sold in our country, which, yeah, it can be slightly counterproductive. (laughs) Yeah, no, 100%. Have you visited any of the farms where the beans come from? Not yet. Um, We have been so busy that trying to take some time off and being that there's only the two of us um, hasn't really afforded us too much downtime. Are you the only two employees? Yeah, just the two of us. Oh, wow. Yeah, I run... This whole, um, this whole time? Yeah. Oh. We've had a couple friends that have you know come to help us out if we're trying to take a day off here or there. Um, but no, we've definitely just kind of been putting our heads down for the last three years and then and, um, making it happen. Um, you know, Derek, um, does farmer's markets with myself and he has a full-time job as well. Um, but he, um, works on a lot of the, um, accounting paperwork, um, and organizational aspects on the back end. And then I work, um, at the cafe Monday to Saturday, um, seven to three that we're open here and then working with all of our wholesale clients as well and handling sales on that side and then doing the roasting. Yeah. So who, who all are you partnering with for stuff? Um, great question. Um, we, um, work with a great selection of, um, businesses, uh, in Victoria, both bars, restaurants, um, and, uh, some cafes as well. Um, we work with, uh, Nourish Kitchen and Cafe over in James Bay, uh, their sister restaurant, Charlotte and the Quail, um, out in Saanich. Which I got to say, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't been to either of those, you have to go. Definitely. The way I would describe them is Nourish is like really clean food, like really, really good, but really clean. And then Charlotte and the Quail, at least the time I went, was like 
really clean. Yeah. Like even cleaner food. Oh yeah. So they're, but they're both absolutely incredible. You have to go to them. Please go. Yeah. They do everything in house. It is, um, a lot of vegan, gluten-free, very, very health component, um, driven. There's, they've got bone broth and kefir and they do, they, they make absolutely stunning food and their settings are both incredibly beautiful as 100%. well. percent. Every time I leave either of those, I feel great when I leave. Oh, yeah. I never feel bogged down. I don't feel like sugar crash. None of that. No. You leave feeling amazing. Yeah. They, uh, they, Haley and her teams make absolutely incredible food that, um, and uh, great experiences as well. Um, we also work with Bodega Bar and Tapa Bar, uh, down in Trounce Alley. So the two Spanish restaurants, um, they serve our coffee there, uh, both espresso and drip, uh, espresso at Bodega. And then drip and espresso at um, Tapa Bar. Um, we work with uh, Il Covo over in James Bay as well. I'm going to uh, be doing Italian an episode restaurant. with them at some point. Yeah, Char- uh, Charmaine Nilo. Um, yeah, yeah they've been working with our uh, Vic Blend and our uh, and our decaf. Is that how you pronounce his name? Italo. Italo. Oh, I've been saying it wrong. Oh yeah. I've been calling him Italo. <laughs> yeah, I've always said Italo. Oh okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. No worries. Um. And then we also um, supply coffee to the University Club of Victoria as well. Mm. Um, so um, they serve it in their banquet settings and then in their um, in their restaurant for their lounge um, area. Um, we also work um, with the Mint um, for their brunch service. Um, we also do a fair amount of cold brew. Um, for a lot of, uh, bars in town as well. Um, whether it's for coffee based cocktails, that kind of thing. Um, are they doing that at Bodega? Um, not the cold brew. Um, they make, they, they use our espresso and they make their own, um, cold brew, okay. um, on, on site. Yep. And then some bars and restaurants, we provide bottles of cold brew already pre-batched out for them just so that it's easy for making cocktails with and that kind of thing. Um, and then we also work with um, a good number of retailers around town as well. Um, smaller grocery stores, um, Aubergine over in Fernwood, um, the Birdcage store over in James Bay. Um, do, they, do they actually like, is it a bird store? Uh, no, it's just the Birdcage Confectionery was what it was originally called. It's the oldest grocery store in Victoria, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was open in 1907. Shows um, what I know. Has all the beautiful flowers out front. And then um, David and Vlasta Booth are the ones that own it. And they have um, Terrible Truffles is one of their uh, businesses as well. So they have a beautiful selection of chocolates and it's a small kind of grocery store in there as well. I didn't even know about this. Yeah, it's an amazing little okay. shop. And um, so they retail our coffee awesome. there, so um, by the bag. Um, and then we also work with uh, the Farmgate store over on Main Island, Don and um, Shanti. Um, they, so yeah, Mile Zero is heavily consumed on Main Island. Um, I think we probably keep all of them caffeinated on that. The, How many people live on that island? Um, I want to say maybe 1,500. That's a bit of a guess. Okay. But I'm not sure exactly how many there are. Um, but I, yeah. I lived in a town once that had 2,500 people in the population. And on the second day, I was already recognizing people. Oh, yeah. So I think living on an actual island with an even smaller population would be a wild experience. Oh, it's, I can only imagine. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, uh, they've been staunch supporters for many, many years. So Awesome. Um, and then we supply coffee to all the pilot boats as well. So all the guys that bring in the big ships go out on the, the smaller boats and bring in the ships. 
Um, they drink our coffee on all of the boats and in their offices as well. Um, You're fueling a lot of people. We're trying. <laughs> we're doing our best. Yeah, we definitely have uh, hopefully some some more opportunities coming up with some more cafes as well. Um, and, you know, our online presence is quite great, especially through the pandemic. You know, we were, we were offering free delivery um, anywhere in the kind of greater Victoria area, um, or at least the greater downtown into a little bit into Vic West and Esquimalt and then kind of as far up as UVic pretty much, um, which was a great way for us to be able to continue to get uh, coffee into people's hands. Um, yeah. So through maybe, quarantine. maybe with that, like with quarantine and COVID and all this, mm -hmm. how, how has that sort of changed things for you guys versus like where you originally thought you were going to go into now where you are sort of what you are doing? Um, you know, we were blessed at the very beginning of um, COVID hitting is that um, we were deemed essential vendors at farmers markets. So farmers markets were allowed to continue, but it was only um, farmers for vegetables and other aspects on that side. And then um, we were informed that coffee was going to be deemed an essential service. We weren't allowed to sell coffee by the cup at farmers markets, but we were able to sell beans. So at the beginning of um, uh, at the beginning of the kind of quarantine and um, people, you know, having to stay at home or being able to go out, but it was you know socially distanced, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we saw our market sales um, go, um, you know, probably one and a half times what they were previously because everybody was sitting at home and drinking. A second pot of coffee, uh, more so than they normally would. And, Are you shocked by that? Um, a little bit, but at the same time, it was also fantastic because we also our wholesale. All of those places we just kind of listed off were overnight from a hundred percent to zero percent. So our wholesale, which was probably you know sixty percent of our business, went right to zero. Um, and so having markets be a prominent component for us and, and through the beginning portion of it was amazing um, to still be able to see all of our regulars and be able to get them coffee. And then, you know, they were going from one pound to two pound a week, uh, two pounds a week kind of component because they were at home quite a bit more than they had ever been before. Um, and then we started to do, you know, we kind of sat there and went, okay, well, let's think outside the box because we need to figure a way to still get coffee into people's hands, generate revenue to be able to support trying to get the brick and mortar open as well. And um, so we said, all right, well, let's put a free delivery code up on the website. And, you know, we did a, um, a bunch of social media push as well, just saying, hey, you know, um, you get free home delivery, no contact delivery. Um, whether it's ground coffee, bean form, whatever it is. And we just really started to push the the website presence and, and the online presence to anybody that wanted and needed coffee at home during the quarantine and during the pandemic, um, which was amazing. You know, it, it really um, allowed us to be able to continue um, working through a lot of that aspect and, and um, being able to generate the revenues and, and keep things Keep the wheels greased, I guess, as you would say it. So you saw a large uptake in that. Um, yeah, you know, our, our online presence previous, you, because we were mostly at farmers markets and we had other retail components and that aspect, um, we saw, you know, some online orders, but, oh, it was 
quite a significant increase in people that were like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you deliver it to our door and drop it in the mailbox. And, you know, I had gloves on and masks on and everything was being sanitized. So, um, yeah, it was also a great way for us to expand our brand and, and have people that maybe not had tried our coffee before or people that had tried our coffee before uh, be able to get it in a safe way, in a safe environment and be able to still get the uh, the good bean juice for home. The good bean juice. Yeah. So this location you have here, is there a significance sort of to the area like being in in Rock Bay? You know, we looked at a couple of different areas. Uh, The one thing about uh, roasting coffee is that you do have to be in a commercial or industrial setting. Okay. uh, Because of the smell. You can't do it in a a residential area. Okay, um, that makes sense. um, Because it's, uh, it's a bylaw. Um, that's specified. So within Victoria and kind of Vic West Esquimalt, we have a couple of places that are commercial and industrially zoned. Um, so you, you're a little bit more limited. Um, we looked at a couple of them in different areas and had a couple of opportunities. And then when we walked into this space, you know, seeing the 25 foot tall ceilings and all of the exposed wood, um, it's got that light industrial feel. So it kind of fit with the idea of being a roastery. Um, but then we also had the great opportunity to say, okay, well, you know, we also want to have a cafe with grab and go snacks and that kind of thing. Um, so it really kind of caught our eye. Um, and this area is just up and coming. You know, it's got such an amazing amount of new businesses coming in. We've got Hoyne and Driftwood. We've got Parachute Ice Cream. Um, we've got a lot of office buildings that I didn't really even know of that are up above a lot of the street level businesses. So yep. we've seen some great foot traffic on that side. And and, um, and then Wheelies is just up the street there. Wheelies is just up the street. You know, we've also got Discovery Coffees um, production office up there. We've got uh, Bows and Arrows just down the street. Um, Il Sauvage. We've got uh, Moon Underwater. We've got um, Salt Chuck Pies. Um, you know, th- this area as a whole, I think, is the next up and coming area for um, for businesses to, to be moving into. And then, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more residential that ends up happening in some of the other tertiary aspects, you know, all the way down towards Jutland and, um, uh, down the Gorge waterway. Um, I think there's lots of amazing access and, and we're seeing more and more support coming this way, um, which has been incredible. So yeah, the, this area itself, um, was, um, there was new building owners in the area and I had, we had been talking with um, someone that knew them about another space. And then they reached out to us initially and just said, Hey, you know, the person that's in here has their lease coming up and would you like to come and see the space? And, you know, we, they wanted to have a, cause there was a cafe and a roastery in here previously. And um, they, as new building owners wanted to continue with um, a coffee shop and roastery in the same space. Um, so it was uh, a great uh, opportunity for us to be able to have uh, landlords that wanted our style of that makes a big business difference. as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been very great on that side. That that's one sure. thing I was wondering too, because uh, the the previous business here, as you mentioned, like it was a cafe. Um, mm-hmm. So taking like coming in as the same type of business as one that is then leaving. What what is is what's a thought process? Is there any like thought of well well they didn't make it mm-hmm. and they're doing the same kind of thing kind of not not that they are or were yeah but you know what i mean like how, how do you how do you sort of weigh that out um i think just gathering information you know derek and i had some um 
multiple conversations about, you know, what that looked like. And, and, you know, the one thing that, um, we also talked to the person that was in here before okay. a little bit as well. Good. Um, and you know, he fulfilled his five-year lease, which is a positive, you know, it's not like he was pull and shoot on an early lease because the business wasn't doing well. You know, he maintained it. He survived. Um, his style and model was quite a bit, is quite a bit different than ours was. He was doing, you know, full pour overs and all of that kind of style. And um, Derek and I went around and looked at what our demographic is here and what our competition is as well. And, you know, seeing what was there and what they were putting forth um, and, and what our opportunities are and what was happening here beforehand was quite a bit different. Um, you know, we love to showcase a lot of our local partnerships where he was making all of his food in-house. Mm. Um, and that can always be a struggle. You know, the time, the energy, the effort, all the things that go into making a lot of the things in-house. Um Whereas we work with Mosi Bakery for all of our pastries and lunch sandwiches and um, breakfast sandwiches, we work with um, Salt Spring Island Sprouts for their salting uh, for their sprout wraps. Um, we work with Singing Bowl Granola. Um, Shout for, out to Jessica, always Jessica Duncan's. Yeah, she, I mean, she her kitchen's right over there too. It is. She's yeah. an area here. She's doing amazing things out of that space. Um, so we've got the, like her energy bites and energy bars. We're working with, uh, the boys from house sausage. Uh, they've made some custom pepperoni sticks for us. Um, we're looking into carrying Adriana's, um, burritos as well. We work with hot and cold cafe from over in cook street with Chelsea and her team. Uh, she brings us soups, uh, every week. Uh, I love their cookies chili. so much. The chocolate mint cookie. Yeah. It's so good. I can't um, get over that thing. Yeah, it's, you know, we work with um, Cold Comfort. Um, Autumn and her team um, bring us uh, ice cream sandwiches and have made custom ice cream sandwiches for us. Uh, we work with our neighbors, um, Parachute Ice Cream. Yeah, just a couple doors down. Yeah, we do uh, affogados. Um, we actually are creating an affogato bar um, where you have five or six different types of parachute ice cream that you can use with our affogados. So we have like Mayan chocolate, we have um, cinnamon vanilla, we've got a couple of vegan options, vegan vanilla and vegan dark chocolate. And then we have the traditional vanilla bean as well. Um, so, you know, it's a big component for us to really showcase um, a lot of the opportunities in um, in this city and having all of these amazing other entrepreneurs that make amazing products that we get to showcase along with ours. Um, and I think that model is also very important because it allows us to really focus on um, not only showcasing the partnerships, but it allows us to focus on the roasting and, and the coffee and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, to me, it, it's creating a balance between having amazing products that people come back for every day um and also spreading the name of different brands out there as well that's really important like as people succeed to help others that that you work with or know or whatever and help them because they'll they'll come up as well from it 100%. i feel like so it's like it's like for example uh israel with uh mais yes and and the tortillas um he's been doing a lot with halt whistle cheese Yes, and so now with everything that he's been getting with the with his tortillas, now he, like he's hot whistle sort of been used so much with it that I I was talking with her and she said that like they've had a big boost I think oh. because because of what he's doing and it's just sort of that that like hand in hand type of thing 
Very much so. You know, I think that, the, and we're so blessed in Victoria and on Vancouver Island. We have a lot of like-minded people. We have a lot of savvy entrepreneurs and people that are making incredibly high quality products. And, you know, along with showcasing that partnership, you bring a lot of their brand loyalty and their, those people. And, and um, when you have those kind of partnerships, you know, people may have not have tried our coffee, but they go, oh, well, you've got parachute ice cream. I'm waiting in line at parachute ice cream for um, for ice cream from them, but I want a coffee as well. Well, you know, why don't I pop in and try a coffee and, you know, try the ice cream as well. Um, or, you know, we carry Salt Spring Hall and um, kombucha. And they've got an amazing following and people pop in for those. And, you know, I think that kind of. This is how I feel sort of about this podcast, because I've met so many people through doing the radio and TV over the past four years that it's like, I know all these people and I need like, this needs to be shared. Yeah. Like, like, like who, like, who are you? Like, who's Brad? Yeah. And like, let's just share that because maybe somebody doesn't know who you are, Mm -hmm. but here's an opportunity. Yeah. It's a brand brotherhood. You know, there, there is this incredible brotherhood of amazing local brands in Victoria and Vancouver Island that support each other. And, you know, as soon as we started opening here, Derek and I looked at each other and we're like, yeah, Salt Spring Island Sprout Wraps, uh, Singing Bowl Granola, House Sausage, uh, Salt Spring Island Kombucha, you know, all of these people that we are side by side with at market stalls every Saturday for over three years. And we would eat sprout wraps and we'd have a bottle of kombucha and we'd go down and see the boys from house sausage and be picking up you know roasts and steaks and um bacon and all the stuff for cooking at home and have you tried their tarts uh yeah they're incredible yeah those things are deadly they are so Um, good so yeah i i think that that uh to kind of full circle it back to the idea of what type of cafe we have here and roastery as well that is welcoming, but also, you know, we will bring you incredibly good quality products from brands that you um, already either support or will come to support by showcasing that um, partnership and that, uh, that brotherhood of local brands where we have those people that um, make incredible things and why not showcase what they're doing as well. That's so actually really cool. Of like. Important. If if these are all items that you've been consuming on a weekly basis, and now you can bring them all into the place where you're working, mm-hmm. and it's like you've sort of somehow managed to like because if you you just named like eight different businesses or something that are over there, yeah, and like now these are all in one spot, like this central hub. That's really cool. Yeah, you know it's and it is you know, and they're our biggest supporters, and we love being their biggest supporters as well, and it's why. There's so much growth and so much opportunity for everybody to, as I guess the saying of all being boats on the same rising tide. Yep. Um, you know, there's nothing but great opportunities to to showcase everybody as a whole in this city. And, you know, especially when tourism opens back up, you know, the opportunity for a tourist to walk into a place and say, oh, well, what's this? I tried the best kombucha and then I got a pastry from Mosi Bakery at mile zero cafe and i tried a pepperoni stick and a energy bar and you know whatever the things that they buy but you know they get to sit there and all of a sudden try three or four different new brands in one place um and then you know if that generates new business for our fellow entrepreneurs i think it's nothing but supportive and nothing but amazing 100 percent. and when i when i 
like you listening to all those companies, like in my head, I, I, I think that like, that's, that's somebody's livelihood. Mm-hmm. Like that's a person, yeah. that's what they do. And then, and so you just named like several people basically. Always. And I, and I love it. Um, you did mention parachute. Yeah. And the affogato. Mm-hmm. So what is that? What, what's the affogato bar going to be? Um, so basically it'll be, we'll be offering them an, an affogato menu. Yeah. Um, so we'll have, um, um, options for people and, and, you know, whether there's something seasonal and, and what kind of flavor profiles will also go well with the espresso. Um, so we have, I think five different types right now and people will be able to come in and, and have, you know, a double shot espresso with a couple scoops of parachute ice cream. And I've always loved affogatos, you know, it's like an afternoon treat. Um, and I always think, you know, you usually just get vanilla ice cream with it. Yeah. And I'm always willing to be adventurous and try different flavor profiles. Um, uh, some flavor profiles, maybe not as much with coffee as others, but um, I think there's been nothing but great opportunities to try and say, okay, well, hey, you know, you're our neighbors and we want to be able to not only showcase your product, but pair it with our product as well and and be able to have people enjoy an experience and something that's just really tasty. That affogato that I had when we were in here was incredible. Oh, their their ice cream quality is bar none and when you put it with our espresso it's a phenomenal flavor profile i would really like to try like a like a uh, a candy cane ice cream like a christmas an yeah well and that's the fun thing I right think that would that, be great as they do start to do seasonal ones as well you know there could be even more of an opportunity to you know if we see seasonal fruit and if there's a coffee that has some of that flavor profile in it to be able to kind of combine the two of them and you know be able to pull an espresso that's got natural blueberry flavors when they do the blackberry from- crumble, I love the blackberry yeah. crumble uh, ice cream. Yeah, which would be really cool with a Jurgen Chef espresso shot that has you know similar flavor profile. So yeah, there's an endless amount of fun things that you can do with that, and that's part of being that adventurous component and, and creating a, an environment where people get to try something new. And you know, do you think you could ever get like an exclusive flavor of ice cream here that you can't get over there? Um, I don't know. I'm sure we could always talk to Robin and her crew and see if they'd be willing to do something fun on that side um we do partner with uh cold comfort for her ice cream sandwiches and she did make um an amazing um kind of co-branded ice cream sandwich uh it's um um like a vanilla latte espresso Mm. ice cream that she used our espresso for and then made custom sandwiches with our mile zero espresso and did a gluten-free vegan version and then did a um full fat tasty version as well Mm. so um, yeah, we've got both of those here available there and she's got some at, uh, her is that, a, is that a limited time thing or is that just ongoing? Um, I think it just depends on how well it sells. And if it's something that people keep asking for, then she'll continue to make more of it. And, um, at least in, I'm sure she will always be willing to make more for us here at the shop. So what do you guys have coming up for? Do you have any plans for things on sort of on the horizon? Um, we do right now we're kind of, um, just working on figuring out what the current global pandemic is doing and then you know with second wave already upon us um exactly what that's going to mean and and how we can kind of work on that so um we are going to be looking at um probably working on getting some new packaging um happening soon as well um which will include um just kind of upgrading our branding um in uh, different components to to be able to um 
approach more of um, the retail components and maybe some medium-sized grocery stores okay um in that kind I, of style I, like i love the branding that you have like these shirts like that's when, when i was here last time i bought a shirt yeah and I, it's like one of my favorite shirts yeah i just love the way it looks mm -hmm. it reminds and, me sort of like a, like an old school baseball exactly and that was deal. exactly what we were going for you know derek um worked uh, very closely with one of our branding people um and um you know spearheaded both that kind of old school baseball swipe logo and then we've got our circular um larger logo that has the vancouver island um, imprint on it and then we've got our bag logo as well so kind of you know we want to make sure that we're tying in all of our branding components as the bag do the, that. the square one um, yeah, and that's part of, you know, we want to make sure that we're looking at uh, biocompostable bags and, and that kind of aspect. So that'll be one of our biggest um, steps now that we've been able to get um, the cafe and roastery open. Um, so we're starting to push on those sides as well. Um, and looking at just expanding our wholesale side of our business as well and, and also expanding our offerings here. And, you know, we're excited to have Adriana's um, burritos and things like that come in um, and, you know, always talking to new uh, partnerships and, and local components and um, other cafes to see if they're looking for um, um, coffee provider and that kind of aspect. So, you know, I think, uh, expansion on our wholesale side and then also just creating this cafe to be even more vibrant and more fun. Um, and yeah, just expanding that side of it to, to create uh, accessibility and, and even more engaging environment. As, as the p past few months have gone on, have you noticed there's been more people like coming in? Uh, very much so. You know, we've had such an amazing support from all the local businesses in the area where we're in, but then we've also had such a great amount of support from our market regulars and then, you know, new people popping by, um, just even all of the people that were are in the businesses in this area. A lot of them were new to us. And now, you know, they're buying the coffee as their favorite coffee and, you know, they've come in and they're like, oh, you know, this is great kombucha. This is, you know, these sandwiches are amazing. Or the number of people that have walked in and be like, oh, you have Mosi pastries. That's amazing. They're like, we used to make a, you know, a trip out to Mosi once every couple of weeks to go get pastries. And now they're coming in every day. Because they're out, they're out in Sydney, right? Uh, they're out in Sandwich. In Sandwich, okay. Yeah. Um, on uh, West Sandwich Road. Okay. And, um, so yeah, you know, I feel like seeing, um, more growth just from being in the area that we're in and a lot of the new people that have popped in to be able to experience having the cafe in their work area or where they are, um, has shown some incredible growth for us on that side. And then, um, yeah, just, you know, being, having a cafe and a storefront. And having a brick and mortar, because, you know, it's always the tough part of incubating a business, whether through farmer's markets and growing wholesale, is that not having a storefront for people to go to six days a week, you know, whether it was online orders or sending them to one of our other great partnerships at Aubergine or For Good Measure or um, a birdcage store, um, you know, was always great and awesome to support those partnerships as well. But it's been so amazing to be able to have our own space where no matter what six days a week people can come between seven and three and whether it's grab a coffee grab beans say hi sit and have lunch um you know it's been an amazing couple of months to be able to have that available do you have or you must i guess do you have a favorite coffee 
like here, like a certain one, certain bean uh, done a certain way? Um, yeah, I would probably say a couple of my favorites right now. I Well, I've always enjoyed Yerga Shefe, um, the Ethiopian bean. Okay. Um, it's um, one of my favorites. It's got an incredible richness to it, but a really cool, um, almost tea floral fruit-like note or berry-like finish. Um, and I love it, whether it's drip or pulled on espresso or I'll drink it at home in my Bialetti. And um, I would also say um, we just brought in an organic Guatemala um, that I've been playing around with some test roasts, and it's pretty spectacular. Um, and we also just got back, but we've been waiting whew, almost eight months for it. Um, but it was on a boat when the pandemic hit, and it's uh, Cuban Serrano, and it's almost like peanut butter in coffee form. It's incredible. It is so nutty and it's got some, I actually mix half Cuban and half of our island espresso because our island espresso has a lot of rich milk chocolate notes. Okay. Um, So you get this like peanut butter and chocolate kind of flavor profile. You have that made up right now? uh, I don't. Okay. uh, We literally just got the Cuban beans in um, yesterday. Oh, are they in the bag there? Uh, Yeah, they're in one of those uh, big bags. We were very excited when uh, we got our note from our importer that he's like, Cuban's finally back. So we picked up two, uh, I've got two bags of that and, um, yeah, did a, one test roast today. Um, so I'm going to be doing a couple more tomorrow and it'll be on the shelf, uh, and available, uh, by tomorrow afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Um, how many different countries do you get beans from? I mean, is, is it always varying or do you have, you obviously must have ones that you're consistent with. Yeah, we definitely have uh, consistent, um, um, bean availability. We will see some seasonality to some of it as well. You know, like we just got the Guatemala and the El Salvador, which I hadn't seen in probably four or five months. Um, but we will, you know, we work out of, um, Indonesia, um, Africa, and then Central America kind of the coffee belt, which is pretty much 20 degrees north and south of the equator, um, where pretty much all coffee grows. And um, yeah, so we bring in, if we see something, you know, interesting and fun, we'll definitely snag a bag in that kind of aspect. So we do have the freedom um, with our importer that we're not having to buy a shipping container of one type of coffee. We get to mix and match and bring in different bags. So we have lots of really great freedom on that side to to bring in some fun and exciting aspects. So yeah, I think we've got 12 different beans right now. Well, the one you're talking about there, that one that one sounded really cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to come back and get a bag of that stuff. Definitely. Uh, through owning the business and like um, your time with Divine and all that stuff, what's been the biggest lesson you've learned sort of dealing with with different beverages or coffee or, or food or anything? Um, I would, you know, I think going back to the idea that it's personal preference. You like what you like because that's your palate. And, you know, it doesn't matter what type of beverage I've served or um, made or created, whether that's coffee or, you know, working with divine, a lot of the spirits and cocktails and that kind of thing is that um, everybody's palate is different. And it's always, you know, I've used the term nostalgic palate a lot um, because I think that it's very, very important that, you know, your memory is stimulating what you like. If you have a good memory about it, you're going to want something on that flavor profile. If you have a bad memory about it, you probably say you don't like it. 
And it's like, if we both walked in and you didn't like cinnamon and I like cinnamon and we walked into a place and it smelled like cinnamon, you're probably not going to have the best experience where I will. I had the wildest thing the other night at dinner where this one drink smelled like motor oil. Or I can't, no, no, it tasted, it tasted like motor oil. Oh, like the texture of it? Yeah. yeah. Like, like just straight up. But it, it took me back to being in my dad's garage. Like when I was helping, helping him do oil changes when I'm 10 years old. It, it's like the way the garage smelt is exactly what that drink tasted like. Mm-hmm. And it was the wildest thing. Yeah. Like it instantly flashed me back and it was the wildest experience. And that's where, you know, um, again, creating an engaging experience for someone is stimulating a memory whether you're creating a memory or you're stimulating an older one. And that to me is so important with things that you eat and you drink because those senses are all stimulating memory, right? You walk into a place and you smell something and that stimulates a a memory of some kind, good, bad, or ugly, sometimes, you know, depending, but that can set you on the path of what that experience is going to be for you. Um, and I think always in my experience is, is that if you can create an engaging environment that stimulates a nostalgic memory or palate and your flavor profiles, you know, when people walk in and smell coffee and they smell the roasting and they smell the brewing and, you know, all the different aspects that creates that environment and then it engages them. And then from there, you can, you know, have all of the fun with asking the right questions and providing them with a product and a cup of coffee that's going to knock their socks off and they're going to want to come back for more. Yeah, nostalgia is like a, that's a powerful currency to be dealing with. Mm-hmm. Really powerful because you are you are instantly just sort of almost breaking the ice. Exactly. Like this, this there's a, there's some familiarity already established. So let's just move past that and start to like really get to know who who and people become comfortable. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. And if you if you know if anybody ever walks into a place that makes them feel uncomfortable, they're not going to want to go back, right? If somebody's not making eye contact and and saying hello when they walk in the door. And, you know, or asking them how their experience is and checking in and touching it, you know, touching a table and seeing what, you know, is there anything more that they need? And, you know, the basic aspects of engaging hospitality yeah. creates a comfortable, a comfortable environment, which then puts people at ease and they want to come back for more. And then when you also provide them with a product that they really, really love and, you know, provide them with a cup of coffee that they have a first taste of and go, oh, that is really good they're gonna come back i normally end with that lesson question but i'm wondering are cocktails ever going to be a thing here (laughs) Uh, it would actually make total sense now that i was thinking about it (laughs) i'm like how does that not happen uh you know derek and i have definitely talked about whether or not a liquor license is going to be something that we'll look at and um, i think in the future it'll be a conversation that we'll continue to have um you know i think that um because i think there'll be some real originality going on if if that was the case a hundred percent. You know, I think that there's nothing but more opportunities here in this space. Um, I think in the current setting of the global pandemic, we need to really work on exactly what direction that might take and what that would look like. But, you know, being such a, you know, medium sized, well, medium to large sized space, but lots of opportunity and lots of ability to do things. You, you could know, host some really cool events in here. hundred Like it's incredible how, um, you know, uh, had Scott Gurney from 17 Black pop in to say hi and have a coffee. And right off the bat, you know, he kind of looked at me and he's like, huh. I was yeah. like, yep, 
Yep. The wheels There's are definitely some options, right? Yeah. You know, whether it's movie nights in here or karaoke and putting stuff up on the walls and, you know, being able to have some fun and exciting things on that side or have an event company be able to come in and, you know, have uh, different options for um, smaller gatherings, you know, medium-sized gatherings. But as um, COVID shakes out and we get to have a better sense of what we're safely able to do, um, yeah, I think there's nothing but endless opportunities um, in this space that, uh, you know, Derek and I are both very excited about um, seeing what we can do in here and, and um, yeah, really creating a, a hotspot for um, things to happen. Yeah, you literally just had like 15 things fly through my head of like like possibilities for in here. Yeah. I think the future is very bright for you guys. We hope so. And we're very excited to uh, keep pushing and, and um, yeah, coming up with those fun and exciting things for people to be able to enjoy. And so if people are looking to get more information about Mile Zero, where should they go? Um, so you can go onto um, milezerocoffee.com on our website. has um, a full information of kind of who we are, how we started, and um, what we offer in regards to product. Um, more than welcome to give us a call here on, uh, on Bridge Street or pop down and see us. Um, we're open Monday to Saturday, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, with full service uh, lunch uh, items and uh, grab and go snacks as well. Um, and then, of course, incredibly good coffee. And um, that's an understatement. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then you can see Derek at uh, Moss Street Markets on Saturdays. He's there from uh, 10 until 1 uh, during the winter hours over um, off of Thurlow Street. In does the does that go Oakland. inside? Uh, it's moving half inside, half outside. Okay. Um, but yeah, Derek will be there um, on Saturdays from 10 to 1. And um, yeah, other than that, you'll be able to also have our coffee at any of those local places that we talked about that we're partnering with and showcasing because we love. Uh, people supporting both us and them at the same time everybody just get your ass in the place down here on bridge street yeah come on down just, just get in here and just come see brad and you'll you'll have a really good time trust me awesome and if you're looking for what i'm doing uh you can go to vicfoodguys.ca that has all of the episodes of vic food stories up there and you can check out vic food guys on instagram which is where i put up all sort of my daily stuff but between those two that's that's everything i'm doing and i will be back next tuesday with somebody else. I don't know who yet. Amazing. Well, thank you know. for your time, Dallas. We appreciate it. And Dude, uh, thank, thank you, you so for much. Everything you do for the industry and spreading the good word. Thank you very much. Awesome. Okay. Bye. Cheers.